This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Klaus Bartoc, CEO and co-founder of The First Group Limited. It's an online marketplace platform focused on improving lives by connecting healthcare consumers with a variety of healthcare providers and information. Klaus talks with me about a variety of the group's activities covering areas like the products now available and what healthcare problems they're addressing, the relaunch of myhealthfirst.com.au, the healthcare marketplace and what that means for the industry, the strategic approach to buy now pay later partnerships and how it's driving new client acquisitions for allied healthcare providers in particular, and what the future brings when AI personalization and digital first thinking comes together. For those interested in how digital first thinking and digital health can work in connecting the digital fabric between a provider and its clients, You'll get a lot out of this episode. Let's jump in. Well, hey there, Klaus. How are you today? Yanni, I'm fantastic in yourself. Nothing like being in lockdown, is there? Such a special experience. We're at lockdown 6.4 now here in Victoria, so good times. Somehow we all managed to keep going. Thank God for the internet. Yeah, can you imagine? Well, look, I really appreciate you taking some time to come and have a chat today, Klaus. I've known you a very long time. Yeah, mate. I reckon we've known each other for a decade. So it is a long time. We've grown older, although I'm not sure which of us has grown greyer faster, perhaps (laughs) myself. Tell us a little bit about your journey, Klaus. Why don't we pick it up leading into 2011 and that fateful decision to co-found what's now known as the first group? Yeah. So look, I met my co-founder in 2011. He's a dentist. He had an idea and it was born off of a platform that for those of us who are old enough would remember whatif.com.au. And whatif.com.au was born off of a simple idea and that was to help sell the next two weeks of what they referred to as distressed accommodation inventory. And so effectively, people trying to get hotels to sell rooms that they still have vacant probably aren't going to get sold in the next two weeks is what whatif.com was about. And the analogy for him in dental was last-minute cancellations. He was losing around $60,000 a year in revenue from last-minute cancellations he couldn't easily fill. That was the kind of genesis of the idea. He and I met. I have a long history with technology and online technology and businesses. And so we launched First Group and the myhealthfirst.com.au marketplace and platform and started in dental as our kind of first category. And I fast forward 10 years from now, and we now service over 12,000 healthcare businesses across Australia and New Zealand, and some probably 30,000 healthcare providers across those two regions as well, and integrate with a large number of practice management software systems that have a range of add-on products and services. It's certainly been a very interesting and frankly, a bit of a hell of a journey. Who'd have thought startups would be as hard as this and also as much fun? Yeah, they definitely have take you to the edges of those two extremes. <laughs> They're not for the faint-hearted. I'd say that to any budding startup entrepreneurs out there. You've really got to be prepared to go through absolutely everything emotionally, physically, whatever you think is going to happen. It's probably good to divide it by two and multiply by 0.25 in terms of your estimations on how quickly it's going to happen. <laughs> They all talk about the rosy startup life as being, you know, 
lots of fun. And sure, there are absolutely periods of lots of fun and enjoyment, but there are also very dark periods when you're building a business, as you would well know, and pushing through those with conviction and purpose and a great team is really important to succeed. So just in that in that respect, so you're sort of 10 or 11 years down the road now, there's been a few acquisitions, you're a publicly listed company now. What's that journey been like for you as a co-founder of the first product to now having a number of products and a consolidated approach in how you're approaching the market? I think on that topic alone, we could spend the balance of this podcast and probably another 10 series to go with it, to be honest. The interesting kind of takeaways are, first of all, In 2013, I got diagnosed with leukemia, which followed me making an appointment at 9.30 one night with my GP on our own platform. Had I not done that, I'm told by my oncologist that a week later, I probably wouldn't be back on this earth. So I was very fortunate that I was able to take action at my moment of worry and concern through the platform and see a GP that led to the discovery I had a rare form of leukemia and was immediately hospitalized. And today I'm alive and well and cured, whatever cured in the world of cancer actually means. And what that did was really help as a company understand how valuable the convenience of being able to access healthcare services online at your moment of worry of need, um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it meant that I was able to get into healthcare services earlier, have my issues and symptoms treated quickly and recover. And so I think that was a really valuable insight into the power of what we're building. And ultimately, what we're doing as a company is, if you think about it, and this is another interesting thing that I find fascinating about the healthcare market, is so much about what we do as a consumer, as a patient, when interacting with healthcare, hasn't fundamentally changed in a century. Sure, the telephone that we use to schedule appointments has got better, but we still got to call them. Although nowadays, thankfully, through platforms like ours, you can schedule them online, but there are still a large number of people who are still booking their appointments online with providers who don't yet use services like ours. And all the interactions we have are done the same way. And I find that fascinating and represents a real opportunity for us. And so we started monetizing more of the patient interactions and network that we are building with additional products and services that are helping bring more of those conveniences to consumers to, at its core, make that process simpler, faster, more convenient, more transparent and available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week through the devices that you're familiar with. That sounds really simple. That's actually really hard to do and hard to do well. But that's what we're building as a company is transforming the way we engage with healthcare. We started with how you schedule an appointment and there are things that we've been adding over the years to do more of that. But in time, we hope to kind of broaden more around what we're doing and how we think about that kind of consumer journey. And importantly, get you to go back to my kind of 2013 cancer experience. I was sitting there in my lounge room, bothered and worried about an experience I was having cycling. I already commenced for two years then cycling to raise money for cancer research of all things. And I had a problem with my right knee, which was had arthritis, and it had gotten worse. That problem, though, had persisted for a good couple of weeks. And so I was kind of worrying about this issue. And then eventually prompted by my wife, who commented across from the kitchen, said, Klaus, just get on the app, book appointment with Greg, your GP, and find out what's going on. And so I did. The next day I saw him. And so the piece that we want to be thinking about solving is that kind of piece that happens prior to you taking action, you know, helping you understand what's going on and, and take action sooner 
rather than waiting until a problem has further manifested itself, which often then results in poorer healthcare outcomes, mental health outcomes, cost of care, all sorts of knock-on impacts as a result of that. So I think of this, the best analogy I can give you, Yoni, to kind of explain that is when we all go out and buy a new car, we get a service manual with that car. And that service manual says at 1,000 kilometres, do these following things. At 10,000, have this service done. At 20,000 kilometres, have this service done. And you're given a book on proactively managing the health of your car. And we all do that, right? We all do that because we know that if we don't, the car breaks down, the cost of repairing it is more significant and the damage done is more significant and the inconveniences to our lives are more significant and so we maintain and look after our cars. But we don't do it for our own bodies and I think that's a travesty and a real problem and at its core centred around the way the healthcare system works, which is it is a reactive industry responding to problems when they occur and not a proactive industry focusing on driving good healthcare outcomes and having you do the range of things you should be doing through the course of your life to avoid and minimise the prospects of these problems and issues arising. And so I think there's a real opportunity in helping consumers, people, manage their health more effectively using platforms like ours. And that's a opportunity that we are seizing with both hands and both feet and conviction to drive real outcomes for the industry that I think would be fantastic. I'm glad you took us through that. I've heard you speak to that analogy in the past, and I think it's a really good one to sort of join the dots in our heads around that kind of personal agency and responsibility that we can take for managing interactions with providers and information in order to help maintain, I guess, our bodies and our minds in peak condition or as optimal condition as possible throughout the whole course of our lives and recognising that the 10-year-old body is different to a 20-year-old body is different to a 40-year-old, is different to a 60-year-old. There's things that just change in these different phases of our lives where statistically we're going to encounter certain things unless we sort of get ahead of it. I think that sort of goes to the first group's current positioning in the market where you sort of talk about improving lives by connecting healthcare consumers with diverse healthcare providers and information. Do you want to just share with us why you say it that way? So what's interesting is, you know, I'm now 59, and as a result, I've now had lots of different interactions and experiences with lots of different types of healthcare services. And I'm now more familiar with the kind of options that are available to me that I should be seeking and what to expect when I'm interacting with these services. If I kind of go back, what is now a long time, to when I was 18 or 20 or 22 or 25 and think about what did I know then about healthcare services. I didn't know much at all. And so understanding and educating people about their choices and what they can expect and experience, it's a really important part of helping people navigate the healthcare industry and the services that they create. Healthcare providers And healthcare businesses have been very good at adopting technology for managing what they do inside their businesses. But what they've not really focused much on is how they interact with patients and the kind of experience that they're providing with patients. I'll give you a couple of analogies here that I think are really interesting and quite relevant. So airlines understood over 20 years ago through lots and lots of research that they won and lost customer loyalty at check-in 
that was the moment in which the consumer experience was most impacted and affected by the probability of their continued loyalty to that brand. Guess what we all don't do today anymore? The check-in is gone. We now do it online through our mobile app. We have boarding passes on our phones and we go straight to the gate. There's no longer that check-in period. Even if you're dropping off a bag, it's a bag drop-off. There's no interaction with humans in that kind of healthcare industry. The interesting challenge here is that we refer to consumers as patients. We don't refer to them as customers. And ultimately, it's those customers who are paying you to deliver a service. And if healthcare managed to migrate its thinking to understanding and operating like these are customers and how can I deliver them a better service that's more meaningful, we'll see a really interesting transformation occur. Bigger corporate organisations understand this. They see them as customers. And if you think about how they operate, they operate with really good systems and processes that are increasingly focused on how to provide the best customer experience. Small healthcare businesses, GP practices, dentists, optometrists and the like, don't think enough about this kind of shift in the kind of way you think about the person walking in the door. And so I think, again, you know, we see the opportunity to assist our customers, being the healthcare businesses and their staff and clinicians whom we service, as an opportunity to help them with the tools and training and the systems and processes to help them manage their customer relationship more efficiently, more effectively, more transparently in the way in which we want to be. And that's the opportunity that we're, we're seizing. I mean, at the end of the day, these are small businesses run by people who are trained to be clinicians and by front desk staff who are often nurses or former nurses, they're not from the retail industry. They're not from customer service. They don't do marketing. They don't understand how to engage patients. They're not as IT literate um, in the way that other industries are. That, I think, is part of the challenge is that they're focused on, and rightly so, focused on trying to deliver you the best healthcare service in terms of their treatment services they're providing. They aren't trained in or learn about good customer service and what's involved like from first contact through to the end. I mean, some of the kind of interesting telltales for, for this issue from an industry perspective, what the industry calls recalls and in some cases calls reminders, which is when they are seeking to get patients back for their kind of regular periodic consult. In the case of people who wear glasses, it might be their annual eye test, which by the way, isn't just about getting new glasses and getting vision reviewed. It's also about eye health. And that isn't talked enough about in the optometry industry, by the way. In the dental market, it's about getting you back for your six-month checkup. And understanding what's behind the reasons for these recalls or reminders is also really important. But what's fascinating is that in the industry, and they refer to, you know, the recall success, you know, how successfully can you get patient back for these regular periodic reviews and appointments. And on average, people's success in recalls or all these reminders is the getting between 20 and 40% of their customers back for their periodic appointments. Now, the industry's taken that as accepted and that's okay. I can look at that and go, well, that means you're losing between 60 and 80% of your customers every year. Yeah, if you had a business and you were losing 60 to 80% of your customers every year, you have to go and find 
another 60 to 80% more customers to keep yourself alive and you were in the retail industry, you'd be deeply worried. You'd be really, really concerned about that and you'd be working hard on customer retention and what's involved in doing that. And the healthcare industry has accepted those statistics as normal. I think that's insane because the consequence of normal is poor healthcare outcomes for the consumers that they've got a relationship with. If I don't come back for my regular six-month checkup with my dentist, my oral health condition can decline. Poor oral health leads to a poor immune system and poor overall health, right? And the reason why that's true is because everything that you eat and drink goes through your mouth. And if your mouth is in poor condition, that affects your gut health. And if your gut health is poor, that affects everything else about you. And you can become quite ill as a result of having poor gut health and poor oral health. Dentists understand this. And that's why going back and seeing your dentist is so important. What's interesting is about a third of the country goes back, goes and sees their dentist religiously every six months. A third goes every two or three years, Yanni, and a third don't go at all unless they've got a real big problem. They don't go at all. In the case of eye health, you know, seeing your optometrist every 12 months to have your eyes checked is not just about, as I said, checking your vision and whether there's been a deteriorating in your vision and making sure that the kind of glasses that you have are still suitable for you. But it's actually about eye health. I mean, did you know that nine out of 10 people could have avoided going blind due to eye disease in old age? I mean, who wants to be blind in their old age? The problem is that unlike other diseases, by the time you as a consumer know or get a sense that there's something wrong with your vision, you've typically lost at least 40% of your eyesight. And by that point, it's now irreversible. Blindness is inevitable. And that's a horrible statistic. And it's so easily fixed by regularly having your eyes checked, by getting that regular service, if you like, with your eyes. And it's particularly important for people who are 40 and over. The older you get, the higher the risk of you getting various eye diseases. And it's only an optometrist with the special equipment that they have, they can detect these eye diseases early enough. We uh, developed a really interesting website called deeper.com. Deeper.com is a model for helping people understand the issues around eye disease. And you know, as an audience, you should have a look at it. It's a really fascinating and a piece of creative that we're very, very proud of. That helps people understand it's effectively what we call the iceberg. And it's an eye floating on top of the ocean with the bottom of the eye being like an iceberg. And it basically talks to the fact that eye disease is not something you can see. It's only something a specialist optometrist with their equipment can see. So I think I come at this with not from, I'm not a healthcare provider, so I don't think of the industry in that way. I think of it in a consumer's way, which is, you know, what can we do to make things more convenient? We all now expect certain experiences online. We now click through to services that we find more convenient and easier to interact with. We shop where the online purchasing experience is a good one and where the fulfillment experience is a good one. And we switch providers in much the same way. If the online experience with my healthcare provider is a poor one, we now know that 39% of people will switch to a new provider where that online experience is better. Again, healthcare providers think their patients are loyal to them. It's just not true. 
not in the way that healthcare providers think. And I think that's a really interesting and compelling fact is that we work and live in two separate places. And as a result, we typically see two GP practices, two dental practices, two optometry practices because we work and live in two locations. There are other reasons why we might see other service providers as well, by the way. But when I go and see my doctor and my dentist, they never ask me, never, have you seen another dentist or optometrist since the last time I saw you? And I think if they ask that question, they might be shocked at the answers that they'll get from that patient, presuming the patient is willing to, to answer honestly. And so I think recognising these things are true about the industry and thinking about, okay, so how do we change it? How do we change the way we as consumers interact with healthcare? A big opportunity here is in the adoption of good online products like the ones we're building that remove those barriers, that improve customer retention, that make the experience online more transparent, more proactive and more useful. They're the opportunities that we see and this is what we're focusing on building over time. So we have a very, very large market in Australia and New Zealand. There are some 150,000 potential businesses in this part of the world that we believe we can service with our products and services. And only less than 20% of those have actually adopted the kind of systems and tools that we're talking about here. So there's a significant road ahead and an opportunity to drive, I think, some really big changes that I'm quite excited by. And increasingly finding healthcare providers are also becoming quite excited by. There's definitely momentum and good strong tailwinds in that direction now for digital first healthcare service design and implementation. And I know that would resonate with you. I can sort of hear it when I speak. Every time I speak to you, you make references to customer experience and customer experience is a whole collection of touch points that happen physically and indirectly via the digital mediums. And so when we sort of move in that direction, I think digital first healthcare services would be a good way to frame how a modern healthcare practice should be thinking about evolving its approach to delivering customer service and customer experiences. I'm careful with the wording because I don't want it to be perceived as an alternative to in-person services. It's digital first, not digital only or exclusively. It just means that we're extending the front door right into the time, place and convenience for the customer to interact with healthcare at the right time for them in the right locations. That goes back to cloud, you know, and that whole anywhere, anytime value proposition. When you were using the word convenience before, I couldn't help but think that it's more than that. Convenience is kind of valuable today when I haven't got a relationship with you. But once I've started a relationship with you, extending beyond that to actually integrate your service into my life is really what digital first takes us to. It goes beyond just sort of a tactical decision, but it's more that now that I've started my first appointment with you as a healthcare provider, you're just making the rest of the experience so easy for me to continue to interact with you and continue to engage with you and continue to get the recalls, continue to get the follow-up, continue to get the education and support that I need, share information with other parties that I'm interacting with as well. (laughs) It's that whole integration experience that is ultimately where the retention You floored me when you mentioned that 60 to 80% churn annually for healthcare customers. That's extraordinary. And, you know, when we think about lowering the cost of healthcare, if we didn't have to advertise so aggressively in the healthcare industry in order to attract a new client, that would lower cost, wouldn't it? It would actually reduce some of the costs needed to actually just recover from all the people who are not returning and not coming back to the actual service. 
Software businesses know getting a new customer is vastly more costly than retaining one you've already got. And in healthcare, it's got its own complexities, but it's a, but it's a really, really important point. Like I agree with everything you've just said. You're completely spot on. The reason I talk about convenience so much is it is a massive human driver. So much of our lives has become complex high demand, lots of information, lots of accessibility due to smartphones and the like and the internet, that we are bombarded with lots of information and content constantly. And we've almost become good at just naturally ignoring so much of what's coming at us. And so I think convenience is what people really value, are really motivated by. So if you can help make lives easier for people, more relevant to them and focused on them, then fantastic. I mean, I get deeply annoyed when I receive a notice from, um, it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's a healthcare provider or a or another business, and it's a standard templated card with the same message on it. And even worse when it says, dear client. So I'm so valuable to you that you couldn't even make the effort to use my name. And I think that's a real travesty. And so really getting more personalized and relevant to the consumer, to your customer, to your patient is incredibly important. I'm also deeply aware of the complex and increasingly complex and high compliance requirements that practices operate under. They have small number of staff increasing complexity with the tools and technology that they're required to become familiar with, constant changes in the regulatory requirements that they're having to manage and look after. And the people that are walking in the door aren't walking into a fancy room and a nice holiday. They're walking in because they're worried or ill. And if you're a patient and you're walking in and you're worried or ill, that's what you're being hit with every single day. That has its own um, impact on, on people. And people become, you know, front desk staff, people become jaded in the way they manage and engage patients because these people are worried or ill, they're not in a good headspace. And so I think understanding that about healthcare is also really important because now you're trying to deal with, I'm going to build and create a user interface and a user experience online, but the consumer I'm engaging, here they're going online because they're worried or ill. That's their headspace. And that also means that they are more easily influenced in a way that could be bad. And so respecting and understanding that headspace and being conscious of where they are means you have to be very clear, very transparent and very honest about the way you engage them in an online world because the moment they sense that they've been taken advantage of or misled online, they're done. There's two sides to the engagement relationship and kind of thinking about both sides. So if, we get, if we're going to say, what's the customer experience like? We should also think about what the healthcare professionals experience like as well. So maybe that's a good segue just to sort of briefly outline some of the key digital touch points that the first group currently deals with. You've already sort of touched on a number of those when you mentioned sort of recalls and check-ins, but do you want to just take us through just at a very high level what those products are and, and why you've introduced them into, yeah, into the first group? Absolutely. So look, recall notices aren't new. Today, most practices send you a letter or a text message with a phone number in it, encouraging you to come back for your regular consult. The problem with the letter is you get it when you come home from work at seven o'clock at night and unless the organisation is offering the kind of service I'm talking about, you can't take action at the moment in time. But even if you can, you've got to go to their website, enter your details, pick a date and time, choose the right treatment, 
that's assuming you can do it online. If you can't, you've got to remember to do it the next day. And the irony is so many people forget the next day and a whole bunch of reasons for that. Text message has a phone number in it. The problem is I get that text message during my work day. I can't make those phone calls during the work day. Most people can't. Some are fortunate enough that they can, but most people can't. It's a real challenge. Our recall message is delivered by text, but it knows exactly who you are and knows exactly what you're needing to schedule. All you have to do is click on the link in the SMS, pick the date and time, and you're done. That's it. Simple. How personalized is that? And for the consumer, it's a wonderful experience. It says, hey, Klaus, and it's time for you to come back for your regular eye test. Click here to schedule appointment now. And I can do that in my workplace. I'm not talking. I just do it on my phone. It takes me you know, less than 60 seconds and I'm done. That's the Easy Recall product. We also have a what we call Easy Engage, which is a pre-consult and post-consult patient engagement tool. Think of it as, I say this somewhat crudely, but survey monkey on steroids. One that's integrated with practice software, one that is designed to work specifically to engage the consumer meaningfully and has you know, all sorts of triggers and other capabilities in it. It's used by our customers in a variety of ways. In the optometry context, it's used to collect lifestyle questionnaires prior to a consult. It can be used to collect other insights about a special consult you're having so the clinician is prepared with more information prior to your arriving. It's used post-consult for a practice to check on what you thought of the service, provide you, of all things, a net promoter score if you wish it, but also to check and double-check that, hey, did you understand everything that was said to you? Do you have any latent questions or concerns? And depending on those responses, empower the practice to proactively engage you in the event that you had a problem. It's also used by optometrists for post-class collection. That's our Easy Engage product that uses content coupled with survey, highly personalized and integrated with your practice software to engage a patient prior and post a consult. Our check-in product you know, removes the need for you to go to the front desk. Like I mentioned previously with airlines, you can actually remove the need for a patient to have to arrive at your front desk. I mean, too often, if you think about that front desk experience at a practice, the front desk staff is on the phone dealing with another patient who's probably managing and scheduling an appointment with them. So you're left waiting. This way, they're not left waiting. So when our practice is busy, the self-arrival function is very, very helpful. So the easy check-in product is used for that purpose. We also provide online digital ad services to customers. So the ability for our customers to use our unique healthcare experience in running and managing their online digital ads, social and Google AdWords. I know so many of our customers have told us they've had an experience with using various agencies who aren't experienced in healthcare, trying to manage their online ads with them and getting pretty average results. In our case, not only do we bring our deep healthcare knowledge to the digital ad services, but we bring the ability to integrate those services with our platform so that what a practice is actually able to track is a click on an ad to an actual appointment booked and know who, which person booked what appointment from what ad. In the allied space in particular, 
new patient flow and increasing new patient flow is important for a number of reasons. One of them is the kind of recall challenge that I mentioned earlier, but the other is that some patients come like a physio, you can't see a physio for a number of consults to potentially repair a problem and you don't go back unless the problem reoccurs. So that practice needs to continue to drive new patient flow to them. And that's a key new service we provide. In addition to that, there's our My Health First marketplace. Marketplace is kind of a, an unfortunate term in a healthcare context, but it's relevant. And that is, if I'm a consumer and I'm looking for a new service for the first time, so a a dentist or a physio or a chiro, go to myhealthfirst.com.au, which is spelled myhealth1st.com.au, and search and book an appointment with a healthcare provider. Imagine being able to find real availability of a broad range of services online that easily. That's what My Health First does. And so it's a source of new patient flow and therefore new appointments for our customers. It's also a place where you can go to now and find, schedule and upload referral documentation to a specialist. First time a GP has access to when a specialist is actually available and is able to, if they want to, schedule it there for their patient or invite the patient to schedule it themselves and upload the referral documentation as part of that process. That's another area, Yanni, that we're making real transformations in, which is the whole kind of patient referral experience. Is another real nightmare, not only for the patient, but actually for the GP practices doing the referrals as well. So we're simplifying that experience for them and they're providing a great outcome for the specialist also. That's just another area of opportunity to, to drive real changes. That's great. So I guess the way I relate to that is that from a digital first thinking framework, you know, you support some of the digital marketing that's needed in order to build that online presence and make sure that as researchers, potential clients or patients are looking around for information that relates to whatever their concern is or some kind of healthcare issue they're contemplating at the moment, they're able to find you more efficiently. And then as a result of that, they then click through to be able to book you for the first time through the My Health First marketplace. Beyond that, having the easy engage approach to be able to support intake, assessments, ongoing communication with clients in a structured and automated way, having all of that upfront is really about the convenience that you were talking about earlier. And then ultimately, when somebody's showing up at your practice, they're doing a check-in in in a uh, relatively seamless and painless way compared to the traditional models. So I'd imagine a lot of the clients that are using first group products, they must be gaining some significant administrative efficiency if we look at it through the lens of the provider now on the other side. So you've sort of described the consumer experience. What's the provider experience like? How are all of these digital touch points translating into the practice life? Yeah, great question. So the real benefits here, there's probably the front desk staff and practice managers operations that are seeing the greatest benefits directly in terms of the individuals. To the provider, it's principally more new patients and happier patients engaging with them, better informed and better engaged and better educated patients is what the provider experiences. And so they're no longer as much perhaps coming in and telling the provider what they want They're rather engaging with the provider more meaningfully around their symptoms and problems and allowing that provider to provide them with the healthcare advice and guidance that they need. In the case of front desk staff, they're getting back many hours of their time. In most cases, three to five hours of their time every day is being returned, but they're not spending on the phone or engaging with patients unnecessarily. 
three to five hours a day per person. That means that now those front desk staff members can spend more time on the phone with those patients who need it, more time with the patients who are actually at their front desk who need it, and more time servicing and helping the doctors in the practice who need it, rather than what they've been spending most of the time on, which is frankly, handling and managing patient inquiries, scheduling appointments, rescheduling appointments, and dealing with frustrated patients across the front desk. Much of that is alleviated. What's interesting as well, Yanni, is one of the queries that I often get from practices, oh, does that mean that I need less front desk staff? And what's interesting is I haven't seen that translate anywhere. What's actually happened is that these front desk staff are now able to provide better customer service. The thing we've been talking about all this time is providing better service to patients, which ultimately leads to stickier patients that are going to increase and return more. That's for me, is a really interesting outcome from this is that, that staff are loving it. Intuitively, that makes a lot of sense because going back to that retention issue, or that sort of churn issue that you were describing earlier, when the admin team can be used to support the healthcare professional with the relationships and the ongoing engagement with the client or patient as the word. You know, in a way, I kind of see this paraprofessional relationship emerging, which is helping scale some of the healthcare service delivery and lower the cost on average for some of the support activities that are needed across that continuity of care, like across the whole therapy cycle or treatment cycle that might actually be in place. Is, Is that something that you're observing there as well? 100% the benefits are across the board and the patient engagement, I think, with practice with the doctors is just much more meaningful. You know, we have lots of content on our site under what we call the Health Hub that is used to help patients be better equipped, better educated about what to expect. And in the case of practices, we're seeing them being able to focus on customer service by getting the insights and the triggers and the information they need to really understand that this is important. I mean, when was the last time your practice, when you left, asked you, hey, how was my service? Did I do it well? They don't do that and they need to. I think if they did that, they would massively improve patient retention, customer retention, massively improve the quality of care because people can now ask questions and engage more meaningfully where they're able to. I mean, you know, I get practice telling me, oh, no, we, we call our, practice, our patients after every consult and ask them, you know, how did we go? And I kind of go, what? So you really think everyone is going to be willingly tell you the truth on the telephone when you call them? And when you call them, how many did you get through to? How many voicemails did you leave? And have they ever called you back? It also potentially creates another barrier, even if somebody is feeding back, quite frankly, a dissatisfied experience. Well, the team member may not be comfortable then to do anything constructive with it other than, you know, potentially apologize and kind of end it there. So it's creating a whole other line of training and development and professional development to be able to deal with in-person criticism or feedback, where if you're working through the data... You have an opportunity to make it sort of safe for everyone to communicate and express their true feelings, but then use it in a constructive way to adapt or change the aspects of the service that could be improved upon. Look, I mean, practices have these iPads now on the way out, right, where they see little smiley faces and you get to pick one. Sounds great, except you have no idea who left the message. And if someone left you a unhappy face response, you can't do anything about it. Okay, you've just got a measure of the kind of quality of service you're providing and you're hoping that the people that have responded are 
you know, you're getting enough of your patients to know. But those devices, in my opinion, are entirely useless. They're a complete waste of money. And sending a patient to survey where they provide you a response that is poor and to which you may respond to that a day or two or three later or never at all is also entirely useless. Yeah. The most effective response to a problem is one that you've responded to immediately that someone's given it to you. And that's what our platform does. If you provide a response that is below a certain rating or response to a question that is categorized a certain way, we notify the practice immediately, provide them the details they need to contact that patient immediately and deal with it immediately. If you get a phone call within half an hour of you giving a poor response, how do you feel as a consumer? And any other business, how do you feel? Valued, right? Straight away, valued. You might be in a shitty place. You actually really appreciate when a company and a business makes an effort to engage at that moment in time. I have a story that's going to digress to the L industry again, but it's a personal story, Yanni, that you might find fascinating. This business was one year into having been formed in Australia. It's called Virgin Australia. And a guy called Jeff Godfrey was the CEO. I had an experience where I got on a plane, a flight to go from Brisbane to Sydney, or I think that's what I was doing. And I hopped on my plane, sat down in my chair, had my boarding pass, and someone came onto the flight and said, sorry, Klaus, when did you get off the flight? Your seat belongs to somebody else. I thought, what? I was traveling to Sydney on a business trip, and my attitude to it was, God's telling me, get off this plane, it's going to fall out of the sky, don't argue, <laughs> leave, right? And so that's what I did. Final destination. <laughs> Yeah, I got up and left and thought, someone's smiling at me today, I need to get off this plane. So I was a nervous flyer then, no longer anymore was a nervous flyer then, so I got off the plane and left the airport. And on the way home, I'm starting to stew. I'm starting to go, you know what? They've just ruined my day of business. That was a really terrible experience. And I had a boarding pass with my goddamn seat number on it, and I got thrown off the flight. What was that about? How could somebody else have my seat? I didn't understand. That made no sense to me. I wasn't a platinum flyer with Virgin then. There was no such thing at the time. And so I went home and being in the business I'm in, I imagined what I thought Jeff Godfrey's email address would be and I sent him an email. I thought, you know, here's a guy, he's building an airline, he's got thousands of staff and lots of airplanes. And I went and wrote him an email and said, here's what's happened and I'm not happy. I was polite about it, I was not happy. You know what happened, Yanni, that completely blew me away? Within the hour, my phone rang. It was Jeff. He said, Klaus, I've done my research, I've found out what's happened, and here's what's happened. A frequent flyer arrived, and we had given away his seat because he was late. So we picked you, because you weren't a frequent flyer, and threw you off the flight to give him a seat. And he said that was entirely the wrong thing to do. We've changed our processes, fixed the problem, deeply apologise, and by the way, the next two flights are on me, and here's the phone number of my PA, and she'll book and schedule them for you personally. I have told that story, I reckon, a thousand times since that since that occurred. And for me, that is that's what customer service is about. When people like Jeff, who's building an airline, the pressure he must have been under, and yet he still found the time to ring me. I was a no one, as far as the airline was concerned, and took the time out to call me personally. And I was mightily impressed by that. That's customer service. That's what customer service ethic and focus is about, and it is mightily impressive. Well, you know, there you go. You're telling the story, as you say, possibly a thousand times, but when you get it wrong, the story always gets told. So he's a good story. When our customers have a bad experience, guess who they get a call from? Yep. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. 
I just wanted to touch on two or three things. One being that some of healthcare industry sort of puts together a whole bunch of tools and tries to do some of the digital stuff using what I call any tech, not actually fit for purpose, specifically designed for healthcare, taking into consideration privacy, security, and the unique workflows of healthcare. So I think that's a point that needs to be made in terms of the product set that you've put forward, but also in relation to the integration that we put in place with Core Plus as well, where we have that kind of seamless end-to-end sharing of information, unlike alternative ways of doing some of the things around digital marketing and digital touch points, things of that nature, which are not integrated, hosted and supported within the APP frameworks here in Australia to help professionals meet their obligations. So I wanted to kind of just touch on that. And there were a couple of other things that you didn't mention there as well, which are about payments and supporting the relationship for administrating payments between a healthcare consumer and a healthcare provider. But an extension of that is you're doing some interesting stuff with buy now, pay later as well. Do you want to just briefly tell us what is your current strategy with buy now, pay later to support healthcare? So remember, I talked about convenience and transparency as being key drivers and key things that are important and talked a lot about the kind of what I'd call the retail experience, the consumer experience. And so what happens today in healthcare is by the time you get to what the retail industry calls the point of sale or in the case of healthcare, the point at which you're required to pay your bill or the point at which you're required to make a decision about adopting a care plan, you're now confronted with, how am I going to pay for this? And credit cards are increasingly less popular because they have high interest rates and they you know, gouge people left, right and centre. And these buy now, pay later service providers, led initially by Afterpay, have transformed that experience. In the allied market in particular and the specialist market, the buy now, pay later service providers are now being adopted in large numbers, significant numbers and would be easily now 20,000 practices in Australia using one or more buy now, pay later services to support their patients. The problem is the moment at which you know that that practice offers a particular buy now, pay later service is when you're about to pay the bill. And if you aren't then a member of Afterpay or Openpay or something else, you can't take advantage of that. And you may choose not to proceed with a care plan because you don't know how to fund it. And so what we're doing with our relationships with our Buy Now Pay Later partners is to help a patient right at the moment that they're scheduling their appointment, become aware of the payment options that a practice offers, including its Buy Now Pay Later options and choices. And if a patient indicates during the booking process, for example, that they want to use Afterpay or want to use Openpay or want to use Latitude Pay at their upcoming consult, we embed that in the practice management software system. So the practice can now prompt that patient comfortably and say, hey, I can see here that you're looking to use potentially Afterpay to settle the bill today or to fund your care program. And it's a much easier conversation for a practice to have with a patient when that's declared. Similarly, if that patient isn't already a member, we facilitate and help them sign up to become a member of that by now later service prior to their consult. What's interesting is the outcome it's driving for our customers being our healthcare businesses is significant increase in uh, the number of new patients who are booking with them. So it is removing an obvious financial barrier, presenting patients with more choices and resulting in increased patient appointments for our customers. That's what we're doing with the Binaire Later providers. And so we're really excited by what we're doing in that 
space. There's going to be a very positive, Klaus. I spoke with Nick Grant from OpenPay a number of weeks back on the show. Yeah, expecting big things. You've kind of just reinforced one of the points there. Consumers do want to exercise their own choices on how they fund their acquisition of goods or services, and that healthcare is no different to that. So I think empowering them to exercise that choice should they want to, I think is super smart. And it doesn't surprise me that there's been that increase in new client acquisition through your client community as a result of that. Yeah, look, no one else is doing it. We seem to have been the ones that have come up with an idea in collaboration with these companies and delivering a service already that is driving significant value for all stakeholders. And I'm really excited by that prospect. The other thing was just recognising that in Australia, there are unique characteristics of the healthcare system here in Australia in terms of things like privacy, security, conformance with standards, data. So having the integration with a clinical information system like Core Plus and My Health First and by extension, some of the other first group products there that deal with the B2C side of things, it can't be understated because the alternative would be to subscribe to multiple component software to try and replicate what First Group Product Set has in combination with a clinical information system like Core Plus. And so the overall inefficiency in terms of data all over the place, multiple subscriptions, multiple usernames, passwords, more training, more development, higher risk of data breach, things of that nature compared to working with proper health tech that is seamlessly integrated was really something that I wanted to get across today and also offer you an opportunity to comment on it. It's a really great point and you're quite right. And we haven't talked about the fact that we also offer telehealth, for example, with payments. And when you unpack what our telehealth solution is, and it talks to this point, is that we use what the industry refers to as a WebRTC component, which is the video component of the telehealth consult. Our component that we've embedded into our telehealth service is from a product called Kovu. Kovu is the only clinically verified telehealth video platform, I believe, in the world. Happens to be an Australian developed product that is used extensively now in this country for doing video consults. It's a component of our telehealth solution that we use. And we chose them very deliberately because of the point you make, which is that we are building a platform where the data that we have to service our customers and our patients is to be managed very carefully and very securely and very privately. Privately. And the systems that we use need to be sensitive to being, A, you know, clinically appropriate in the first instance, but also provide the right kind of usability and experience that the consumer wants and making sure that from a practice perspective, that the data is all in one easy, seamless, convenient place rather than distributed in multiple systems, many of which probably have not been designed for use in healthcare, as you rightly point out don't offer the right levels of security that's appropriate, don't address the privacy issues that are appropriate and can cause data breaches in the way you've described. And so we spend and invest a tremendous amount of time, energy and cost in managing and maintaining and ensuring that we're providing an appropriate environment that meets the appropriate security standards and that looks after the data in a way that is respectable and appropriate for the patient as it is for the provider. So a really critical point. I thank you for raising it. Too often I find healthcare businesses using SurveyMonkey to engage patients. Seriously? And it really is not appropriate. And sadly, there's not enough information, enough guidance being provided in the industry 
to those providers about those things. It's happening, it's evolving, and the industry associations are getting better at assisting people in understanding these things. But yeah, it's a really big, it's a big issue. You ought to think about doing an independent, separate podcast with two or three people on that topic alone. It's a big, it's a really big uh, area. Look, I agree. I think it's fundamental to digital health, interoperability, and empowering digital first thinking, which would include also a variety of clinical interventions and therapeutics that could be done in a digital framework. All of it starts with a foundation, and that foundation in Australia is the digital health, interoperability, conformance profiles, data, security, privacy by design, and then we sort of build the features on top of those kind of frameworks. Klaus, I just wanted to ask you one last question before we finish up today. From your point of view, how do you see the world unfolding with a first group if you get things your way over the next five to 10 years? What's the healthcare system going to look like in the context of your vision? That's a big question. (laughs) And it's one that I apply my mind to almost every day. There's no doubt in my mind that AI will be a cornerstone and pivotal part of what we do. Artificial intelligence can contribute significantly to good and better decision-making and good and better online flows in the way patients navigate through a range of things and the way that doctors engage with patients. And so there's no doubt in my mind that over time what will happen is my kind of end ideal result is to create the penultimate app that's on your phone that you see as the most valuable utility for managing you and your family's health, period. And where right now, there are thousands of healthcare apps out there, and they all do little different things. None of them integrate, none of them provide you with a sensible overview of not just your current state of health, but managing and navigating you through the course of your life. Very few of them know anything about you, in fact. They don't know that you're a 59-year-old man, in my case, with a certain history relating to my health and aren't helping me manage that in a sense of why they don't know about my broader family situation and don't assist me to help me manage and look after the health and well-being of my family. So long-term, I think it's about creating a platform that really does bring significant value to the consumer and their broader family to help them manage life well. And I think of a podcast when I'm about to talk this last bit, which is that I've heard this great expression referred to as having a better health span and not lifespan. And I really love that expression because what it's referring to is growing old well where you are in good health condition, you're mobile, you're healthy, and you're getting on with your life in the right way versus having a long lifespan and being blind in your old age in an old age care centre potentially and not really living the quality of life that you would like. And I think if we can contribute to helping people have a better long health span, then I think we will have delivered on the vision and where we're going as a company and I'll be pretty excited by that. Absolutely. Well, hopefully we won't be like the mechanics who have the work in progress project in the back of the garage while they're servicing everyone else's cars. 
in the process. But Klaus, thanks so much, mate, for coming along today and bringing us up to speed, I guess, with the first group. You've really come a long way with the breakdown in those products that really support that digital first thinking with touch points across, you know, the introduction and the engagement and the continuation of a relationship with a consumer in healthcare and some great anecdotes from your own life experience that clearly tell me what's kind of inspired you to build a business around customer experience design. So thank you and look forward to catching up with you soon. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, Yanni. Thanks, Klaus. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos. And I'll speak to you in our next episode.